When Mark said, I'll be finishing this current series, From Me to You, um, and uh, it's been an amazing series. It really has. And if, you haven't, if you've missed any, check them out the podcast. But it's basically been uh, anything the speaker has felt like God has been sharing with them to share with us as a church. And it's been amazing. And I've got to be honest, as I was asked to finish this series, I, I felt a little bit nervous. I was like, how am I going to be like matching up with some of those excellent talks? We had Denise. That was awesome. We had Chris. We had Wendy, who told us about all her, her heroics. Uh, we had Hem- um, Henry as well. And our very own Heather Ryan first of many preachers to come, I'm absolutely sure. Um, it has been absolutely phenomenal. And so, um, so when, uh, actually I've got to say, one of my favorite talks of it was the Hoping for Hope talk. Uh, you probably all have your favorite talks on that. But I would totally check out that podcast if you missed it. It was phenomenal. Okay, so inspired, but a little bit nervous, honestly, um, I waited for God for that divine download. You know these preachers when they stand up here, uh, when Denise gets up here and she's, you know, just got that thought, God has clearly downloaded something amazing into her mind. And uh, I, I was sitting there praying, waiting, playing, um, you know, watching Netflix. Um, and I was, <laughs> I was hoping that God would speak to me and uh, he gave me one word and that word was courage. And I thought that is amazing. What a great word. I'm going to need more than a word, though, Lord God. Um, I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do with one word over 30 minutes. Um, so I asked God, why courage? And then it hit me, um, and I think God just spoke to me about this. He, he, he made me realize that actually everything we've been hearing for these last couple of months, really, everything we've been hearing over these last couple of months, everything I've been personally challenged by, and I'm sure you have too, how to go on an adventure how to love your neighbor, how to live life to the full, how to act on the word that we've heard over the last couple of weeks. All of that takes a step of courage. Every single one of them. Just one step and then another, but a step of courage every single step of the way. And if life, if history, if our experiences have taught us anything, it's that if, it's often if we just take one step of courage, that can often be the, the turning point, the tipping point for something extraordinary. I mean, if we look in the Bible, you can see example after example after example. I had tons, and I've stripped them down. Um, take Abraham, for example, who delight, decided to follow this voice effectively and leave his home and leave his family and give it all up for the promise that was before him. And in doing so, an entire nation was born. Or Moses, who um, you know, started off life with full of energy and then spent 40 years in the wilderness. And one day he felt like God was calling him back to Egypt. And with courage, and you can read it in the story, he didn't feel like, he was very afraid. I'm not a good speaker, but with courage, he stepped up and spoke to the Pharaoh with these simple words, set my people free. And what followed was this incredible story that's continually told throughout the world as a nation was delivered from a hopeless situation. Or Esther, you know, she could have stayed and enjoyed a luxurious princess life or queen life, and she would have had an amazing time. She would have had everything before her but courageously put her life on the line for the sake of her people. And saying even those words, those famous words, if I perish, I perish. I mean, that takes incredible courage, but in doing so, she won the favor of the king and saved everyone. And of course, take Joseph in the New Testament. You know, he found out his, uh, his wife-to-be was pregnant, was with child, and he knew exactly what people would say. He knew exactly how they would be treated and what would come of it. But he said, no, I'm going to have courage. God has spoken to me and told me to stay with you. So I don't understand it all, but I'm going to obey. And in doing so, brought the king of heaven and earth to life in this world. Amazing, these simple steps of courage. One moment, one decision, 
one step of courage can change the whole world as we know it. Now, the problem with those stories, and they are great stories, is they're so big and so dramatic. And they are, you know, you can imagine if an angel came to you in the middle of the night and said, do this, and this would happen, you may find yourself being up for it. It might be a little bit scary, but you'll be up for it. But sometimes those steps of courage don't come with an angel attached to it. Don't come with God's voice absolutely 100% clear. And so those kind of steps of courage that we take may not be so dramatic, but they can still be opportunities or circumstances that will be extraordinary for our lives and the lives of those around us. Take, for example, that business meeting. You're, sitting, you're in a staff meeting or in a business meeting, and you're listening to what's going on. And you take that deep breath, that step of courage, and then you challenge the status quo. And you know that you may be rejected, you may get shot down, but you do it anyway. And in doing so, you end up seeing the entire business and the way you do work for everyone transform for the better. Or maybe that step of courage um, to reach out to that sibling or that family member that has been absolutely horrendous to everyone else, including you. But you take that step of courage and say, no, I'm going I'm to show some courageous kindness here and reach out to them. And in doing so, over a period of time, end up restoring an amazing, an, an intense family split. Or finally, you know, maybe you take that step of courage one day and you pray for a friend. You speak to a friend about Jesus and you lead them to Jesus. And you, like Tracy, just encounters his love. And you think, yes, this is amazing. But what you don't realize is they then go on and tell hundreds of other people who you would never have encountered about this Jesus and see hundreds, if not thousands of people come to know him just because of that one step of courage you took. You really don't know the outcome of some of these steps, but you just know that that step of courage is needed. Now, I'm going to talk about three steps of courage that I think we all need to take, but I want to clarify one thing first, which is having courage is not the same as being fearless. If you didn't have any fear, you wouldn't need any courage. If you didn't have fear, you wouldn't need courage. See, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing, especially when you're afraid. The more afraid you feel, the more courageous you are. And there's people in this room that are going, I'm never courageous, I'm really afraid all the time. But those single moments that you step up and take courage makes you some of the most courageous people in this room, if not this country, this nation, this world. You know, fear of fear... And I'll say this boldly, fear is a God-given emotion. And it's to say this, hold on a second, just consider what you're about to do. Think about it, prepare for it. Ready yourself for any resistance. Count the cost. Fear keeps you alive. Courage is to say, I've done all of that, I've thought about it, I've considered it, I've counted the cost, and now I'm going to go for it. Being fearless means you've done none of that. Fearless means you've just gone, yeah, whatever, I'll just do it and see what happens. Fearlessness is basically foolishness. And it leaves you overconfident, which is the one thing that can result from serious harm. And I say that with confidence as a man who thought, do you know what? I don't need a cycle helmet. Yeah, I cycle down roads, I go really fast, I weave in and out of cars, but whatever, I'm fearless. And then I hit the road. Fearlessness is foolishness. We count the cost. But fear can also be an invitation to the extraordinary. Now, I love this. Alan Scott, um, who used to head up Causeway and now in Anaheim Vineyard in um, the States, he gave this amazing story once, which really stuck to me. He says, listen, think about the crows. Think about crows flying through the air. Now, if crows are clever, what they would do is they would look and find a scarecrow. And rather than being afraid of it, 
they would say, hold it, in my experience, where there's a scarecrow, it's trying to protect something. And so what the crow would do is, rather than being afraid of the scarecrow, would actually fly towards the fear, try to fly towards the scarecrow and find loads of fruit. You see, fear is where the fruit is. Fear is where the fruit is. You know, Stephen Furtick said it this way. He said, if it doesn't scare you, that vision, that idea, that imagination, if it doesn't scare you, it's probably not from God. Which is why we need to be people of courage. Too much hangs in the balance for, for us to be cowards in the face of God's call. And these are the three steps of courage we need to take. Are you ready? Okay, so the first one is this. The courage to stay when it would be easier to go. We need this. We all need this at times. The courage to stay when it would be easier to go. Charles Stanley said this. When I look around at the circumstances, everything in me just says, go, leave, run away. But when I get on my knees and ask God, he tells me to stay. You know, some of you are in a difficult situation right now. You're in a difficult work environment. You're in a, a neighborhood that's causing you stress. You've got friends that keep on disagreeing with you. You just say, I'm fed up with this. I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. Just get me out of here, God. And then you hear those words from God, just wait, just stay where you are. And you say, but why? This is horrible. Just wait, trust me in this. So you get the sense that God might be working something in you or using, uh, using you to be a light in the darkness, but you hate it and you want out. Perhaps it's your marriage. You know, things have been tough for a while and you hardly speak and when you do, all you do is argue over and over and over again. All hope has faded. You're just feeling absolutely hopeless. You know, separation seems like the only solution that's going to please you both and ease the pain. But how could you do that? You know, and to add effect, you say, you know, I would never be unfaithful to that person, you know, while I'm married to them. Never would I do that. But you can't stop thinking, do you know what? I reckon my life would have been better if I was with that person. You say, God, I know you brought us together. But how did you bring us together? Why did you bring us together just to cause each other pain? I'm going to leave. It's best for the both of us. But he says, no. Stay where you are. I'm not done yet. Don't just resign to waiting. Commit to staying. Commit to your promises. Commit to loving them. Commit as I have committed to you and loved you sacrificially. Stop looking for a way out and stop looking for a better life. Otherwise, you'll miss the very best part I have planned for you. I can say this from experience. So me and Tara have been married for 10 years this month. I know. Some of you are like, I'm not 30. That's nothing. But, um, <laughs> but I think this is amazing. I think this is a miracle, mainly for a couple of reasons. One, which was, I think it was our fourth anniversary. We went for a meal together. We were having a bit of fun. And uh, I remember very vividly over the table, Tara told me, she said, you know what? If we make it to six years, I was like, what? Sorry, what? <laughs> I didn't realize this was an option, you know. And, and so she was proposing that if we make it six years. It was, I mean, I, I was a realization that our marriage was difficult before that. But those first couple of years were so hard and so difficult. I remember once when, um, when I was really wrestling with just arguing so much. We're both feisty people when we, when we get going. And we just, and we come from massively different backgrounds. And so we're sitting there arguing again and just, I, I just lost hope. And I looked at her, and I, I just started to feel hope fade away. And then I felt this idea, this, this, this voice, I guess, from God of saying, look, you're, you're, you're married now. That means you're together for the rest of your life. So you've got a choice. 
You can either endure this and suffer with it, or you can say, okay, I love this person. I'm going to be with them for the rest of my life. We'll make this work. I don't know how, I don't know when, but we'll make this work. And I'm going to commit to staying. At that sense, I just had this incredible sense of peace come over me. I felt so relaxed, and uh, I kept looking at her. She was still telling me what I'd probably done wrong. I didn't quite hear at the time. <laughs> Might have been part of the issue. And I looked at her and I said these words. I said, Tara, I might be reading this situation wrong, but are we about to kiss? <laughs> Fortunately, it broke the moment. <laughs> it could have ended up so much worse than that. But in doing so, we realized at this moment, did you know what? It is difficult at the moment, but we're not resigning to wait it out. We're, commi we're committing to stay. And we're committing to make it happen. And 10 years later, I can genuinely say we are happily in love and things are well. That's a good place to be, right? <laughs> Do you know, after Jesus ascended, the disciples needed courage to stay as well. It would have been safer for them to go. It would have been, safer, it would have been more fun for them to tell everyone else about what Jesus has done. But he said it very clearly. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. And so they stayed there. And they stayed in this room and they gathered together wondering and waiting and itching and wanting to go. But as they waited, the Holy Spirit fell on them in power. You see, that step of courage became the tipping point for something extraordinary. And it would change the whole church of Christ and the world as we know it. Let me take this one step further. For some of us, it's not just staying where you are, it's persisting when you want to give up. You know, John Wimber um, has this great example. He said, you know, he really felt like the God, God was wanting to give the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church. And so he would, every single Sunday, offer prayer for sickness and heal them. And so every Sunday, people would come up with their ailments. And every Sunday, they would pray. And every Sunday, nothing would happen. Over and over and over again for a whole year. And then one day, he was invited to someone's house on a pastoral call. And they said, look, my wife is ill. Please pray for her. And he's like, okay, I'll Go and pray for her. That's what we do. And so he went over to the bread and prayed a blessing on her. And genuinely, he turned around to apologize to the husband why she didn't get healed. And it was at that moment the husband could look behind John and see this woman get up, put her slippers on, tap John on the shoulder and say, can I make you a cup of coffee? And she was healed in, moment, in that moment. You know, for many of us, we just want to give up. You stepped out, you tried something, you failed. You say to yourself, I'm not good enough. This isn't working. I knew it wasn't right. And so I'm just going to give up. I'm going to move on. But God says, no, stay. Stay. I've got more to come. It would be easy if, you, if I went. It would be easy if you're good. But just trust me in this and stay. Where you've experienced rejection and failure, just stay. That's going to take some serious courage from you. But God has something extraordinary waiting for you if you just wait on him. Second one is this, courage to go when it would be easier to stay. We just had courage to stay when it would be easier to go. Now it's the other way around. John Augustus Shedd, great name, uh, wrote this. A ship is absolutely safe in a harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Do you know what hangs in the balance of you taking that step of courage when God calls? No idea. Literally no. I don't know. You don't know. No one else knows. But God does. And that's why it takes courage. You're courageous people or those who are afraid, who are nervous, but willing to go where God says go. You know, rarely do people have a foolproof plan and know exactly what's going to happen when they go, but they do it because it's worth it. 
They don't know all the possible consequences. They just say yes. You know, Megan, for example, was doing notices today. She um, is taken over leading the Alpha course. Now, I know that Megan has experience. She has gifts. She's going to nail it. But she knows, as much as anyone, that she will get up and she will lead a great course. But that will mean nothing if God doesn't show up. And, you know, Trace's story of that, yes, the food was great. Yes, the people are fantastic. But if God doesn't show up, you don't get that kind of story. And Megan is stepping up knowing that it all depends on God. There's nothing she can do other than be available and say yes. You know, in the book, Tale of Three Kings, it says this, Beginning empty-handed and alone frightens the best of us. But it also speaks volumes about how sure you are that God is with them. Think of Joshua and Caleb. You know, they went out into the uh, land of Canaan and, and explored the land, and they saw it was flowing with milk and honey. And 10 of these 12 men uh, came back saying, this is, this is a bad idea. This is full of pretty intense people. Um, you know, we really, we just look like grasshoppers in, their, in our own eyes, and we know we look the same to them. Let's just give up. Let's just turn around. Let's go back to Egypt. And they also <laughs> said these faithless words. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Let's just go back to slavery. At least we knew what we were having there. Wouldn't it be better just to stay where we know? But Joshua and Caleb said this, and they saw exactly the same thing. They saw exactly the same um, warriors, fighters. Uh, They knew it would be like walking onto the set of the Expendables. They knew it would be intense. But they said these words, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, who would lead us into that land, a land flown with milk and honey, and will give it to us. They knew that this land is something that God had promised them. They knew that where God had promised something, that he had already done it for them. And so how did they know this? In Numbers 14, 22, it says this, you saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt. God is basically saying this. Look, if you realize what an amazing miracle it was that got you out of Egypt, if you realize what, extent I went through to deliver you from that place, why the heck would you be scared of going to Canaan? Look, you have just walked out of and defeated an entire formidable nation on the face of the planet, and yet you're scared to go in a land which is pretty much full of just thugs. It is like this. It is like you've just seen an army taken over and conquer the whole city of London, but then you see them petrified and afraid as they stand on the gates of London Coney. It doesn't make sense, does it? And yet we imagine that. We, we look at what God has done in our lives, that he has saved us, he has delivered us from sin, from Satan, from the enemy, from hell. And yet we go, oh, I don't know if God can do this though. And then Jesus said it himself, you did, who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how would he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, perhaps it is as simple as talking to a neighbor who's been quiet recently, or praying for someone who's in the supermarket. Perhaps it's bigger, a change of career, or a step into a a call into ministry of some sort. You know, perhaps you don't know. But today, you want to make that a day where you choose God and say, go ahead, God. I'm yours. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, just as Megan prayed. What would you like me to do? And I assure you this, you will rarely, rarely regret the risks that you take, but you will always regret the opportunities that you missed. You will rarely regret the, the uh, regrets that you t- the risks that you take, but you will always regret the opportunities you missed. And I love this. Philip Brooks says this: 
Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for powers equal to your tasks. So take a step of courage. Take a step of courage. Stay when you want to go if God says that. Go when you want to stay if God says that. But there's one other type of step of courage that we all need to take at times. And that's this, the courage to ask for help when it would be easier to pretend like everything's okay. If I just stopped there, if I just stopped at that moment, it would be, come on, gird your loins, get up, we can do this, fight harder, go stronger, be bigger. But actually there's times when we need courage to say, do you know what, I have no idea what's ahead of me, and I'm scared. You know, I speak to some of the most bravest, courageous people in the country every single week. I do this thing, uh, volunteering for this um, charity called Shout. And they're like Samaritans, but via text. I absolutely love it. The reason why I love it is because I believe that when someone texts and says, you know what, I literally have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm thinking of taking my own life. I don't know have anyone to talk to. I'm just, I'm at the end of myself. You know, for me, the bravery, the courage it takes to reach out at that very moment rather than just give up is so immense. So immense. And I wish we all had that kind of courage. Have you ever said to someone, you know, God uses the weak. God uses, well, you probably prayed it over someone at some point. God uses the weak, and yet we, even as we pray it, have this absolute fear of looking weak. We have this absolute fear that we just pretend to be strong the whole time, or we hide away. You know, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? We just move on. You know, we're afraid of admitting that we can't face something or that something's going to change or people's opinions of us are going to change. We're afraid of that. So we carry on pretending because it's safer that way, right? But humility is liberating. And you know what it does? It shows you who you can genuinely trust. It shows you who you can genuinely talk to and who is genuinely a safe place around you. But that courageous decision to ask for help is an invitation for God to do something. You know the story of David and Goliath. So the typical way we look at this is, David is this fierce warrior, Goliath is this amazing fear that we face, this nine foot, nine inches tall giant of a fear. But listen, if you just trust in God and run out onto the battlefield, you too can courageously overcome all fears because you have what's in your hand and God will use that and defeat everything before you. You've all heard that story, right? Maybe that's not quite right. Maybe that's not the whole story. Maybe, and let me propose this, that Goliath doesn't just represent our fears. Maybe he represents the other counterfeit courage that we can have. You know, when we look at Goliath, we can look at someone who is, someone who trusts in his own strength, in his own abilities. I mean, he, he's wandering out onto the battlefield, but he's not exactly going, this is going to be hard. Look at the size of me. You know, you can see in the scripture, I won't read it all out, but he was huge. He was armored. He had all the weaponry ready. He was fully resourced and able and full of esteem, self-esteem, and absolutely knew he could crush anyone. You know, maybe we enter into situations like that too. Do you know, I'm going to try this. And do you know what? I don't have to be afraid if it doesn't work because, frankly, I can just pay for it anyway. Or maybe I've had enough of this and tomorrow I'm going to tell people what I really think. Do you know what? Because I know that everyone else is going to agree with me. Or maybe this. Okay, look, we'll try this. We'll give it a go. But if it doesn't work, I can already tell you whose fault it's going to be. You see, all of that is not courage. 
All of that is going, no, I've, I've got the resources. I've got, I know who's going to be blamed. It's not my life on the line. See, Goliath had all the bases covered. There was no real risk here for Goliath. And when David approached him, he became complacent. It says in 1 Samuel 17, he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed, uh, Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And so as I said, we presume to be, we should be fearless like David. You say, okay, I'll identify with David. I'm not going to trust in my own resources. I know that I'm smaller. I know this is a big fear. But I, I'll trust in being like David. And I would say, don't do that either. Don't do that. You know, if you have to be like David, that will probably lead you into at least a certain kind of more spiritualized version of what Goliath is saying. You say, I'm going to really trust God. Therefore, nothing bad is going to happen to me. Which is basically similar to say, look, stop worrying, be fearless, God's on your side. Do you know, when we look at that story, we're not Goliath, we're not David, we're someone else. When we look at that story and you look around at all the different players in this, in this story, you realize that actually we're more like the Israelites. We're like those hundreds, thousands of people just standing there staring. We look at the battlefield ahead of us and we go, I have no idea how this is going to be sorted. I have no idea how we're going to do this. This is too big a challenge for me. This is too big a challenge for, you, for us, and I am scared. Does that sound more realistic? You're not David. You're not Goliath. You're the frightened people. I'm the frightened people. Sometimes we all are just frightened as we look around at the world around us and at the battlefield before us. But here's a question. What does God give to a frightened, helpless people? He doesn't give a frightened, helpless people an example and says, be like this, go and do likewise. Now he gives them a champion, a savior. He doesn't deal with fears through inspiration. He deals with it through substitution. You see, what do I mean? He doesn't say, look, be like David, go out and you can do this. He says, don't, doesn't say, gear up for battle, you've got this. Don't prepare for fight. He says this, I will provide a champion, a savior, a deliverer. I will provide Jesus Christ. To the frightened, to the fearful, to those who look on the battlefield wondering how, they will ever, how this situation will ever change. Who will take my place? And God says, I am the one who can change the face of the battlefield. And he sends out that savior to absolutely defeat and destroy that enemy before us. And you know, I love this bit. Well, actually, he says it many years beforehand to Joshua when he says, look, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not discourage. Why? Because I've made you strong? No. Because I've given you the resources you need for it? No. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. David went out. Jesus went out, defeated the enemy. And then the next verse says this. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward to give a shout and pursued the Philistines to victory. You know, we look out on the world around us and we see that Satan has been defeated. And actually what we're looking at as a demonic force, we're looking at um, the enemy and going, you are scared and hopeless and helpless. Our God, our Savior, our Jesus Christ has already defeated the best of your best. You have absolutely nothing to come against us. And so we come out like these men of Israel and the men of Judah and we will take back what is rightfully ours. And so we go with courage. We go with confidence, not in ourselves and not in our own strength, but in Him. 
Courage is not easy. That's why it's called courage. Sometimes God will call you to stay when you want to leave. Sometimes he'll call you to go when you want to stay. And sometimes he'll call you to courage to ask for help from him and from others around you. We all need to be people of courage. Too much hangs in the balance if we are cowards in the face of God's call. And I promise you again that you will rarely regret the risks that you take, but you will always regret the opportunities you missed. Let me leave you with one thought. Why don't you stand in the band and come back up? You know, faced with a potential miracle before a wedding in Cana of Galilee, Jesus' mother Mary said possibly the wisest words to a bunch of courageous servants. She said this, just do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. And as they poured water-turned wine into the glasses of guests and they discovered the essential ingredient behind every miracle that would ever take place in the history of time forevermore. Just do what he tells you. So listen and do what he tells you. It might just be the tipping point for something extraordinary. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you, Lord God, that you speak to us. And the last two weeks have taught us so many of those skills and abilities. And if we forget that, may we just bookmark those podcasts and keep on going back to them, Lord God. Because we want to be a people that are obedient. We want to be a people who trust you, follow you, even when the battlefield looks messy. Not in our own strength, but Lord God, in the confidence that we have in you. We love you, Lord God. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you.